1983 or 84, there was this gay bar in the Capitol Hill section of Seattle called the Brass Door. And for many, many years prior, I'd been trying to get in there because I wasn't yet 21. And I turned 21, let's see, 64, 74, 84, in, in 1984. So in 80, from 81 to 82 to 83, I was continuously and constantly trying to get into the brass door and I didn't have, you know, they knew my fake ID at that point. So they wouldn't let me into the brass door. But a couple of times a new bartender would be there and he or she would allow me in. And the brass door was like the fantasy place to go into. It was the bar that you wanted to go into in Capitol Hill. And I had two friends back then and I will call them Aaron and Charles. Yeah, sure. So Aaron and Charles. Aaron was short, had a little mustache, uh, was Italian. I had a big crush on him and he was in a relationship with someone else and we had kind of a back and forth flirt, but nothing ever happened. My other friend, who was part of the threesome, uh, our friendship, um, he always said he wanted to have sex with gnarly dudes, and he always talked like this. And he was like, oh my god, I just want to have a real man. I just want to like have sex with gnarly dudes. And that's all he ever said. And it was very funny, and he was sexual and had a great time. I was just coming off the tail end of my prostitution reign, and so I was feeling very in my zone of sexual stuff, you know, but also kind of uh, tired of it a little bit because I was tired of chasing (laughs) guys for sex, tired of doing all this sexual stuff. So at the time I was smoking weed, drinking, have a great time. At the last door, you know, when I finally got into it, at the time, this was like 1981, and I was still in high school. And um, I, I found that I had certain types of men that I liked when I went to the brass door. And the men were always the same. They were usually white trash with a mullet, and they usually were shirtless and looked exactly like they were going to be incarcerated. Four years ago, actually, right around this time, the summer of 2015, July 10th, I decided to go and crash my 20-year high school reunion. Um, I didn't graduate with my class in Oklahoma. I had moved to New York uh, two years prior. So, but I went to school with them, so I decided to run back there and just say hi to everybody, and and I did, and it was fantastic. I hadn't been back home in so long, in like 23 years or so. And I walk into this room full of people. Now, I was really nervous, so I, I did all the homework before. I was looking at the guest list and who was coming, and then I looked back at their high school yearbook pictures to make sure that I, I could figure out who they were and remember them by name. I was just so OCD about it. So I show up, and I'm saying hi to everybody, and everybody's like, Jenny, you're here. Everybody calls me Jenny in Oklahoma. And so I started talking to some people, and all of a sudden, this gorgeous guy walks up to me with this beard, and he's got this salt and pepper hair, and he's a little bit taller than me, and he's like, Jenny, ho! And I turn around and say, I don't remember who you are. I'm sorry, sorry. He goes, no, 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 it's, it's, it's okay. It's Tommy. My name is Tommy. But I understand you wouldn't remember me. I was like the nerdy kid. I was very shy, sat in the back. I said, well, in my head I'm thinking, shit, you look good now, right? <laughs> 
And I'm newly separated. So my husband and I decided February of that year that we were going to separate and we were going to see other people and do whatever. So this is my first time out of town after the separation and being married for eight years, right? I am ready to rock and roll. I'm like, this is my high school reunion. I could just sleep with somebody. Let's do something naughty, right? Hi, I'm Michael C. Bryan. And I'm Jennifer Ho. We help people understand the purpose of their pain. We've been through a lot and we've come out the other side. We talk about everything and anything. Especially what other people are afraid to talk about. Life is an invitation to do whatever the fuck you want. And it's definitely time to look at how we're playing the game. We held ourselves back for years. But now we're mostly past all of that shit. Mostly. Welcome, Welcome to, to Stripped. I got such an erection looking at these men. I just loved it. You know, they were just the bad boys. So one night I went to the brass door with my two friends and we're having a great time. You know, back then it was, um, I always say, that was the era of um, too many men, too little time. This one dance song, that was always the thing. And we were dancing there and the the dance floor was very small. It was Seattle. It wasn't that big of a bar. And everybody was high. We're having a great time. And we're dancing away in the in the smoke, of course, is coming. And we're all coughing up a lung, but having a great time. And we're blasted and stoned and back then smoking cigarettes, having a great time. And in the corner, I saw this guy dancing there. And he was like dancing all alone. And he had, a, he had overalls on, but he had one of the things off, right? And then his nipple was exposed, but it was colored pink. And he had a long mullet, and he had a mustache, and he he had all this fuzz. He had the, he just was not quite sha- shaven, right? And he just thought he was the hottest shit in the world. And as he was dancing, he was looking at himself in the mirror as he was dancing. And I was like, hot. And my friend at the time was like, oh, my God, like, why do you like those guys? They're, like, so gross. I mean, don't you want a gnarly man like a real man? That's, like, so gross. What is it with that guy? So both my friends made fun of the fact I couldn't stop looking at this guy. So he saw me, and in that second that we saw each other, and this happened for the second relationship in my life. I've had two long-term relationships. It was an immediate bolt of of a connection. It was just an immediate thing. And so he and I ended up dancing that night, and then we ended up going back to his place, which I didn't suspect this, but we were at the house— And what I didn't realize was at the house, beneath him lived his mother. And so we went to make out at his house where his mother lived. And, you know, he was obviously the wrong choice for me. But there was something about him that I I couldn't deny that I was attracted to. Well, what happened in the relationship is as, as we started to fall in love and I started to get really crazy for this guy, he said to me very openly at the beginning of the relationship, he said, look, I love you, Mike. You mean the world to me, but I'm not a one-guy guy. So I'm scanning the room, and I see this guy. I'm like, oh, he's really cute, and we talk, but he's getting a little drunk, and I'm, I'm eyeing some other people and just talking or whatever else. And the night progresses, and he gets more and more drunk. And then I was staying in a hotel room with a whole bunch of other people in the same hotel, And uh, I said, hey, you know, if anybody's too drunk, you can always room with me. You can sleep on the floor, room somewhere else. I was actually being nice at the time. I wasn't thinking about getting laid, believe it or not. 
So uh, Tommy was the first one to raise his hand. He's like, I'll, I'll stay, I'll stay. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, that was a little too quick. I wasn't, I wasn't talking about that because the rest of the room went, ooh. <laughs> so he, he came and he stayed with me, of course. We did the big nasty that night. But um, the next day, there was something about him that I was just really attracted to. But I kept saying, how am I going to make Oklahoma and New York work? You know, this is just... You know, whatever. It's never going to work. So I pushed it out of my head. The rest of the weekend, we hung out. And then I left, and we kept in contact. And I said, well, let's meet up again. You know, maybe we should meet up somewhere. So we decided on Colorado in October. We had been talking almost every single day from that point. And then we started Skyping every day. And then by August, I was just head over heels in love with this guy. And it was really confusing for me because I didn't necessarily want to get into a relationship. I'm newly separated. My husband was still living in the house, right? So it was a little, it was messy. It just didn't look the way that it was supposed to. But I said, I'll just have some fun, but I'm falling for this guy. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. I also was really clear that I wanted to have a polyamorous relationship. I've always had a very difficult relationship with non-monogamy. I've never felt uh, free as a gay man. I've never felt I can't – I don't feel like one of those guys that can go on the dance floor and hump a bunch of guys. I've never felt like that. I've never, ever, ever taken my shirt off in a gay bar. Never felt comfortable with it. I don't like showing my body. I don't like exposing my body. Yet, if the lights are, <laughs> lights are down, I can have a great time. But I just don't like showing it, Right. And so when he said that to me, I knew everybody else, though, was very much about having open relationships and that being gay was about sexual freedom and about the fact that we can take back the power of it's not about love, it's just sex. That was always the thing. It's not about love, it's about sex. And so I could never, I never felt good about that. But I loved this guy and I thought I would work it out with him. So I said to him, I'm not comfortable with this. And he said, but this is the way I have to be in a relationship. So we ended up dating and being in the relationship, and every time we'd hang out, uh, stay at a friend's house, or you know, there's a lot of parties and crashing, he would always have sex with someone there at the house, and I would see it, and I would say to him later, did you have sex with so-and-so? And he would say, no, I didn't. And I would say, yes, you did. I saw it, and he's like, and he wouldn't say yes to me because he didn't want to hurt my feelings, but he knew that I knew that he was fucking around. This was pretty standard, but because I was a pro at making bad choices, we decided then to get married. <laughs> and so now at this point, my mother knew I was gay, but we weren't talking much. And now we're in 1982. I've graduated from high school somehow. I've stumbled onto downtown. Paul said, before we get married, you know, we have to pay for the wedding. So how are we going to pay for the wedding? And I said, well, you know, we both were working at the time at Winchell's Donuts, and he would wear like chaps and a leather vest and serve like mixed batter, you know. My sister came and saw us one time and was like, really? Who are you sleeping with? So I said, well, how are we going to make money for the thing? And he's like, well, you know, you did have a profession before we met. And so there's a way you could pay for the wedding. So I went back to prostitution. While he <laughs> – I think about this now. Basically, my future husband was okay with me going back to being a prostitute to pay for something that he didn't want to find the money for. And I was okay with that. And I was so proud to do that. Polyamory to me is always very, it makes sense. 
I have two children. The first time I had, the the first child I had, I said, oh, my God, I love him so much. And then when the second one came along, I said, how am I going to love the second one as much? But I realized that I love them. Like, I just have an exorbitant amount of love to give. And I said, so why can't I have relationships like that? It's not about fucking around to me. It's really about loving multiple people. So let me try this on. So I said Tommy to Tommy over Skype over the next months before we met in Colorado, this is really what I want to try out. I want to try out polyamory. And he says, okay. You know, he was open to it. We lived in separate states. Let's check it out, see how it works. And um, I wasn't with anybody else. He wasn't with anybody else. It was just here are the guidelines. Here's really what I want. So we met in Colorado. And it's very interesting because up until this point, I was extremely untrusting in my relationships. I would fuck around with guys' heads just for the fun of it. Like, it was just fun for me. It was sports. Sex was sex. Love was something else. I never had sex with love prior to this. I never understood how females can cross the two. It just didn't make any sense. So I meet up with Tommy in Colorado and... It's great. We're both very, very nervous. And we get back to the hotel room and it's like, you know, you know it's going to happen, right? It's going to be showtime soon. And and I'm laying there in bed and after we have, well, after we get undressed and he's on top of me and I'm I'm looking all over the room except for his face. He's right in my face, but I'm looking everywhere else in the room except for him. And he takes my head, and he straightens it out, and he looks at me dead in the eyes, which is extremely uncomfortable for me, and he says, where are you right now? I I want you to look at me. Ooh, getting emotional. So I looked at him, and the feelings that I had that, that appeared were just, I don't want to be seen I'm scared to be seen. I don't want to be seen. Please don't look at me. Like, you're going to see all my shit. You're going to see everything that I'm coming with. It was just like a um, x-ray eyes. Like, he could see all of my past, all of my doubts, all of the, the non-Wonder Woman shit, right? And he held that pause for what felt like fucking hours. Could have been 30 seconds. But I didn't want to connect with him. My head just kept wanting to move out of his hands, and he would grip my head tighter. And I'm like, okay, so I get to really surrender in this moment and just trust. So it was the choice that I made in that, in those few seconds to just let him see it all. He could have not been seeing anything. He could have, but the story I had in my head was he's seeing right through me, and let's allow this to actually happen. So I went back to being a professional whore to pay for the wedding, which I did, and it was, I don't know much of a wedding you'd call it, and then we got married, and it was in the front page of the Seattle Times, because no one got married back in 1983. It was like a gay wedding. And my mother called, and she's like, you know, I saw the, the Seattle Times, all my friends did. You really just, what are you doing down there? Like, who is this person? Who is this Paul person? And uh, I was embarrassed for her to meet him, even though I knew that I loved him. And so we ended up moving in together and in the house with his mother down below. And we ended up living there. And this was now (laughs) the theme of our our marriage was What's Love Got to Do With It by Tina Turner. That album, we played that album 
we played that album literally every single day. Like I had that album, I could I could be woken up at two in the morning and recite every single song from that album. So that was his album. That was the album we listened to. So we used to sing to it and he used to dance in the living room to it all the time and get high and smoke cigarettes and, you know, I would try to have sex with him. But of course, as always, he would he would fuck me, but I could never fuck him. It was indicative of my marriage. I could never fuck the man I was with, but I would get fucked. I was always the bottom. And whenever I tried to go there, it was like, how dare you? You know, we had an agreement. That was always the big thing in my marriage is we had an agreement. Whenever I'd go against it, we had an agreement. So I told Paul that I wanted to be monogamous, and Paul wasn't into it. And I said, I really would like us to be monogamous. And Paul said, okay, I'll give it a shot. So at the time, <laughs> at the time I was working, not only was I training tricks, but I was working the graveyard shift at Denny's to pay for bills. He didn't have a job. So I was working two jobs. I was a prostitute some nights, and I was slinging hash after prostitution. I would go to Denny's. So I would suck cock, make money, lay in my back, get fucked, take the cash, thanks, get on the bus, go to Denny's, and then say, how would you like your hash browns? And then I would go back to my white trash hamlet. This is my life. And what's love got to... And so I told Paul I wanted to be in a, you know, monogamous relationship. And so he said, sure. So there was a mailman in our block that was hot, that we thought was hot, you know. And he always used to say hi to, to Paul and say hi to me. Then I went to Denny's one night, and then I, I had a feeling about something at, at Denny's. And so I, I, I went back to the house, and and it was quiet. It was, you know, and I did the graveyard shift. So it was like 3 in the morning, 3 or 4 in the morning. And I, I said, Paul, and there was no response. And I walked in, Paul, and I, I opened up the bedroom door, and there was our our mailman eating his butthole. And in that split second, I also made the decision that I was going to have this relationship be different than any others that I've ever had before. I'm going to take in love while I'm having sex. I'm actually going to look at my partner as opposed to remove myself. I'm going to stop performing during sex and actually connect with it and enjoy it, feel what's happening in my body. Sex was always a performance to me. It was always, let me see what angle is going to be best for him to get off. Let me see what he's going to like. Maybe if I suck his dick this way, it's really good for him. But meanwhile, I never had an orgasm. Ever. Ever. So I would sit there and perform the entire time. And when it was done, it was almost as if I needed cue cards of, oh, she scored an eight, right? Or I always wanted to be the best at you know, the being a partner and, and having sex, you know, porn sex just looked like what that's what men wanted to have. And so that's what I would perform. And I would play with my voices. You know, like all these different things would play in my mind. So I would switch up and just have fun with it that way. But I was never connected. And so Tommy was asking me to be something different in that moment. And I chose to go along with it. It changed my sex life forever. Not only my sex life, but my relationship. Because choosing to allow somebody to see all of me, all my nastiness and all my dirtiness, I still had my husband at home. I'm a single mom or to-be single mom with two kids. I have all this stuff going on. I don't have my stuff together, but what I like to show to the world is that I do. And so it was extremely vulnerable in that moment. And that was probably one of the bravest things I've ever done in my life. I've done a lot of shit in my life. I've created a lot of amazing things in my life. That was the scariest and most proud moment of my life, is allowing somebody in. 
So going forward, I still wanted to be polyamorous. I chose to allow myself to open up completely to him. It took a lot of, I'm going back to my old ways. I got to course correct. This is what I'm doing in this relationship. I'm doing something different to, to move forward. But there came a point where in February, I went out for my birthday and I met up with an ex. I said, you're eating his butthole. <laughs> Paul's like, he's not eating my butthole. And I said, the mailman's eating your butthole. <laughs> he's like, no, he's not. And then the mailman, who I don't remember, ran out, terrified. And then we had a huge, huge fight. And I remember at the fight, I was so distraught. I ran out of the house. I didn't have control of my faculties. And I sat in the middle of the street. And I just sobbed, going, what is my life? So we ended up, we didn't have any money. I didn't want to be a prostitute anymore. I wanted to quit doing that. I didn't want to work at Denny's. So we moved to this small little apartment. And I remember the end of the relationship was he was sleeping above me and I was down below. And I used to sit at night and put my ear on the vent and listen to him making love to strange men above me. Listen all night long. And the idea that I chose that, that my barometer is off in choosing men, that trust thing, I, I trust the wrong people because, I know I talk about this a lot, but because my mother was never the focal point of consistent love to me, it was like, I love you and then I'm going to hurt you, I'm going to love you. So I opened my heart and hurt, opened up and hurt. The embarrassment that I feel now, the shame I feel now, that I'm so tender and that I feel so much and that I sense so much all the time, it may have been born from that, but my acuity to sort of figure out what the right action to take to choose the right people to trust and to let them do what they do is, is just, it's confusing to me sometimes. And it still is, is happening to this day, nothing like it used to because I work so hard to get where I'm at. But you know, there's a reason I've been single for seven years. I think about this a lot. I'm afraid to trust someone again. I'm afraid to be vulnerable. And yet I'm probably the most tenderhearted, emotional, feeling person you're ever going to meet. And what I have to do to modulate those emotions, it's overwhelming how much I can sense. And I was told by this woman on Facebook, she wrote to me out of the blue. She goes, you know, I got to tell you something. My son is what they call a super sensor. He does a lot of DBT therapy. It helps him. I don't know if you know this, but you're a super sensor. You just might want to look it up. And so I did. And I am. And uh, I know, I know. It's your superpower. I say this to everyone I work with. But it's difficult sometimes when you feel this much. So trust is a funny thing for me. I, I'm learning to trust now, but I'm also always kind of bracing for being hurt at some point because it's happened a lot. I went to a club with my ex and everything else, and we ended up making out. And, you know, everything was fine. There was no sex, but we were making out. And I come back, and I have my laptop open, and my Skype is always on auto-answer. So Tommy chimed in and heard me talking about making out with my ex and laughing and everything else. And I hear him on Skype saying, wait, what did you do? And I said, oh, you know, I went out with my ex tonight and, and we made out. And, you know, it was a lot of fun because one of our things was we are always going to be honest with each other. No matter what we did, if we were going out in an open relationship, polyamory, we're going to be honest. And he says, you did what? And he punched the wall in his garage. 
I sat there and I was like, well, what are you so upset about? I, I'm telling you, like, what's, what's the big deal? You knew from day one. And he says, yeah, but the only rule that I had was that you wouldn't see an ex. I had completely forgotten about it. Completely, completely forgotten about it. So I could see that I was going back to my old ways. I was disregarding what I said, was getting what I wanted because that's what I wanted, and having this guise of being open and honest about it, but I had forgotten about it. So I said, you're absolutely right. And from that point forward, he says, well, I want to be monogamous. And I struggled with that. I said, I don't know if I want to be monogamous, but I said, I'll try it out which is why this is so interesting. I said, okay, I'll try it out. And um, we've been monogamous ever since. I still, to this day, believe in polyamory. Still to this day. There are times where I wish that we were still polyamorous. He knows it. But I will say I've never been in a more loving, connected relationship ever in my life. And that was because I allowed myself to let go. It had nothing to do with him. I just allowed myself to let go and trust to know when to get out. Before him, I didn't trust getting in relationships because I always chose wrong, always chose wrong. So I didn't trust myself. I didn't trust myself to get into another one where I wouldn't get fucked over. And this time I said, I'm going to trust myself to know when to get out. And so we are set to get married next year, July 11th, 2020. We've been in this long-distance relationship now for four years, actually around this time. Next year will be five years. I asked him to marry me, and I could not be happier. So it has all turned out great. <laughs> so talk to me about poly—I never pronounce it right— uh, polyamorous. So, so what is it? What is that definition? Because you didn't really define it, and a lot of people hearing this are probably on Google right now. Just we know, but we don't know. What does that really mean? So, polyamory is the ability to love multiple people at the same time. Mm -hmm. So, uh, a lot of polyamorous couples will create a contract with their husbands or their partners, wives, whatever it may be. So I would make a contract with each one of the partners. Here are the, the basic ground rules for our relationship. And that's what the contract states. It can say, it, it can be whatever it is that you want it to be. You can only have X amount of partners or, you know, we'll stay married for this amount of time or. Um, so, so really, is it, is it being in emotional relationships with different people? Yes. Okay. And so it's being in love with different people. Yes, you absolutely have that ability. See, that seems much more and threatening to me than it would be just fucking other people and being in love with one person. It, and it can be. And it depends, right? That's so tricky. I understand. Fuck. So for me, I didn't care if somebody else was really having sex with somebody else because sex is sex. But the second you cross over to love territory, yeah, yeah. that's threatening. Yeah, that's what I'm feeling. So it's very different as opposed to it's more of a communal love. Listen, we all have boundless amounts of love to give, and we are not— uh, So why does that—when I hear that, it's like, okay, this sounds very flower power. I'm just going to be honest. It does. Yeah, I want to go right there. So when I hear boundless love to give, and I'm thinking, my scrotums are attracting right now, going, mm -hmm. if I'm with one man and he's like, I got boundless love to give, I want to go out with Chet now and fall in love, I'd be like, mm -hmm. no, you won't, bitch. You're going to mm -hmm. stay home. And then I'm like, wait a minute. So how do we stay open to that? Because that's a whole different place you're going to. 
Well, listen, so we've been conditioned to live in these monogamous relationships. We aren't physically meant to be monogamous to begin with. Now, where do you know that from? Because there are so many signs, journals, the reason why men can reproduce until they're like 80-something. You're meant to really spread your seed around. I've heard this forever. Why do I then have a difficulty with that? Even though at the same time, conceptually, I got to say you're probably right. Look at our culture. Right. Our culture, if you go back to any religion, yeah, any religion, yeah. uh, except for maybe a few that believe in, in having multiple wives. Yeah. Right. But it's always been one sided. Right. A woman could not typically have multiple husbands. But this is based on religion. Religion first said, hey, listen, it's a man and a wife doing X. So it was organized religion that was part of it. Organized religion was part of it. And then all the people that subscribed to that, so they they stopped living these polyamorous lives. There are still some tribes and villages in Africa where you have one female that will sleep with a ton of men in the village, and they all become the father. I don't know who it is, and I have to look this up, but they all become the father. That's where it has that connotation of it takes a village because it does. And it's the emotional connectivity. Like they're emotionally in love with this man and this man is emotionally in love with them, correct? Right. But we've been trained to learn that that's threatening. How can love be threatened? Yeah, but wait a minute. It's like, okay, you you are very, you're, you're one of the most intelligent people I know. There's got to be a party that understands why people find that threatening. There is. There is. And, absolutely. And, and I want to hear your thoughts on it because, because you feel this and a lot of people either secretly do and don't express it or don't allow themselves to express it in a healthy way so they do it in a dysfunctional way or they just don't get it. Where is it in here? So so explain why you, you may view, because I'm sure you've thought about this, people find it just no. I'm one, one person and that's it. I can't even allow the love of my love to be with someone else. Which is very funny. I find that very funny because how many couples actually cheat on each other? Right. Well, that's always the joke is so that everybody's fucking right, everyone's like, back, but no one's saying it. Right. As opposed to having a relationship where you have an open, trusting conversation around sleeping with who. Could you imagine walking up to your boyfriend or girlfriend and saying, hey, you know what? I found this person attractive and I'd really like to take them home or I'd really, you know, I really love this woman and I'd love for you to meet her. It's a completely open relationship. A lot of the times in these relationships will hide those pieces of being attracted to somebody because you don't want to anger your significant other, which it's just a natural part of who we are biologically. And so for me, yes, does jealousy come up? Absolutely. Absolutely. I can see how that would show up. But on the flip side of it, it's what am I really jealous? What do I feel like I'm lacking <laughs> that this other person has? And that, that's another conversation about me feeling like I'm lacking something instead of this person's going with somebody else. Well, okay, let's, say, let's go into trust. So I'm putting myself in this situation. Mm-hmm. Okay, So we're talking about trust, right? Right. So if I trusting one man to open up, which I do not do, and I'm willing to show my heart, my full heart, which is very tender, and and I'm a tough motherfucker, but I'm still. And then can he, I just say something really quick? You sure. just said when he opens up, and then I'm willing to, as opposed to when I open up and see what comes through the door. You're waiting for them to show up first, and then you're. I think you might be reading something into it. What I mean is okay, that no, when go I, ahead. yeah, yeah, I mean, I, it's I, just I, interesting. I, no, 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 I do that too, but I don't think that's really. Yeah, it's not what I'm feeling. What it is is more like if I've completely opened up to this person and been with them and then trusting them and that's taken me a bit of time and then they want to go be with someone else, something about that feels funny to me. 
especially it's like the sexual part I learned when I was trying to figure out how to not to be monogamous, I could kind of compartmentalize. And even though I felt kind of shamed by at least the gay community, certain sectors that what's your problem? Now it's like, do whatever you want. But there's there's something in there that, that feels like it's um, uncomfortable. It doesn't feel good to me. So you're saying is that a conditioned thing from society and that how does one examine that if they're feeling this? Right. And, and so this is the other piece. If it's not for you, it's not for you. I'm not saying everybody has to. I'm oh, no, just saying there, there's, a, there's a piece where society is extremely tight about who and how many you can love. And so if you want to stay monogamous, that's fantastic. The polyamorous community is actually fairly large. And so for me, I, I am keenly aware of what the history of it. I also look at the divorce rates and everything else with the, with the relationships and the people cheating. And I'm like, this is not supposed to be this way. And so let me reexamine what it is that I want. Polyamory just happens to be a label that I put on how I feel. But if that wasn't even present and I had a, a blank slate I would still feel that way. That's just another label. What I'm saying is if you can wipe out everything that everybody has ever told you on how you need to be and how you need to show up and start from scratch, what would it look like for you? I think that's really difficult for most people to do. I love the idea. I think that might be more than most people can do. Where was your first indication that this guy was not right for you? The minute I saw him. I knew my gut said this isn't the right guy, but I was attracted to the wrong choice. And that's what I couldn't get my head around. Like, why would I be attracted to the wrong choice? And have you taken a look at where you were then in terms of how you were perceiving yourself? Because I, I strongly believe that we attract the people based on how we actually see ourselves. Well, I didn't have any, I, like all this talk about seeing ourselves and understanding, I didn't have any of that connection then. I had I was barely getting by. You know, I, the, the, the maelstrom of my emotional life was it's hard to express it but it was just an absolute tornado it was a tornado because sometimes we'll take on what we feel like we deserve well of course i felt i deserved to be abused because i just came out of an abusive childhood okay perfect and that's really the the space that i want to speak about it's, it's sometimes you choose these relationships because that's what you feel like you deserve at the yeah, moment. And yeah. if you have always had that with your mother, yeah. if you could speak a little bit more about what it, you felt that you deserved at that time, even if it was a lacking of love or abuse. Looking back now, how do you feel that you were deserving of this? Does that make sense? Yeah. So I have to add something in here, though. What always comes up when I talk about this stuff, I have to tell you, I always knew at the time, I thought it constantly, this is temporary. So when I talk about this, I just have to always add this in here. I don't know where that came from, but I always knew somehow, and this is the only reason I haven't killed myself, is that there was some, there was somehow I was going to make it through this. This is temporary with Paul. This is temporary. I know this is temporary. So while I wasn't clear why I was doing what I was doing, and I had no awareness about my actions, all I know is I felt confused emotionally and didn't know how to feel. I didn't know how to be. I used to say it all the time. No one understood that until my shrink recently said that was like a good question to ask. I didn't know how to be. I didn't know, I didn't know, I didn't have a sense of self. I had no connection. My mother had, she had disassociation disorder, so she would disassociate from her body. So I would constantly disassociate from my body, you know, when I was, you know, fucking guys for money and be somewhere else. That thing is true. You, you kind of detach. And so you found that in your relationship as well? I found that 
I detached from, or I didn't see what was really happening. I, I saw instead that there was somebody that I felt a lot for. And I remember thinking, we're not the same and we're not going to be together long. I remember thinking that. And but there is, has to be a certain amount of detachment if you see things that are like monogamy, right? You wanted to be monogamous and he was, he clearly stated from day one, that was not his gig. Yeah, a lot of gay men don't, don't really um, understand my prudish ways. But even if that's what you want, instead of honoring it, there was a... But I thought there was something wrong with me without being a gay man who didn't want to be in an open relationship. Like I had, I was in a, I was having sex with uh, two men who are still together to this day who, uh, you know, just didn't understand my problem with it. Like, uh, why are you so uptight about it? And looking back at it now from, from where you're sitting now, mm -hmm. how do you, how do you look at that? Now, like, are you honoring those pieces of you that want what you want? Is monogamy okay with you? Is it so strange anymore? I've stopped fighting it. I know I'm kind of got to stick up my ass with sex. I get it. I know it's kind of ironic, given that I was a professional whore and that I have fucked in many places, many sex clubs. I was never very comfortable doing it. I only did it if I was high or drunk. So that's that's it was easier, you know, pop a Viagra and go out and fuck all night. Sure, easy. But I didn't do anything. It wasn't a drive like. I always say the story. I had a friend of mine I went to Fire Island with one day, and we're hanging out at this bar, and I'm talking about. He's like, "Why don't you have sex with guys? Why don't you go out and fuck around?" I said, "I, I don't know what it is." And then he, in that moment, he said, "Okay." So he took a swig, and then he turned and looked at the bar, and in that moment, there was this click, and I saw in his eyes like a cheetah on the prairie, and I thought, "He's going to get laid in literally five, four, three, two." And there it was. Some guy sat up next to him. He admitted he liked the hunt. Right. He liked the pursuit. Right. That's what he liked. And he was good at it and knew he had it. As a flirt, as a pursuer, I've never felt I'm attractive. I've never felt I'm sexy. I've never felt like I have something. And that's been the big struggle for me in my life sexually is that everybody enjoys my insight and quote-unquote wisdom, whatever that means. But, you know, gurus want to be fucked, too. Yeah, and, I mean, because, and <laughs> and you I, can, I don't seem to be getting it much, so. But I don't admit it. I don't admit it. You can see it in that relationship also, right? It's, it's, it's you wanting something, but not also standing down because of, because what, what I'm experiencing is the, the idea that you wanted love so bad that you would bend over and over even further every time mm -hmm. instead of honoring what it was that you really wanted. Mm -hmm. And still to this day, you call it strange because you want that or you stopped fighting it. No, I don't feel strange now. What I feel now is I've surrendered to the fact that I am very much a one guy guy. Talk about the contract because I'm intrigued with that because you said when you're in a polyamorous lifestyle – you have different people that you're in love with or have relationships with. So what do you mean by the contract? Is it like you say, this is respected, these are the terms of it? Like, yeah, how does that that's work? basically it. Yeah, it's it's yeah. the terms. You yeah. set your terms. You sit down and you both talk about what the terms are going to be. Mm -hmm. You talk about what your boundaries are, what mm -hmm. you're willing to do and not to do, and, and, and that's it. And you abide by those rules. Anything outside of those rules are really like, it can be seen as cheating. That's the best way, actually, I could say it. So... You know, if you say I'm 
God, I don't even know what one of them would be, but— Well, you know, um, it's kind of like when you're saying, it's like when I hear married couples talk about they're in an open relationship, and then I speak to the husband or the wife or the husband or the husband, and they say, the agreement is that you can't do this during this way and in this manner, and that's what we're both comfortable with. So they've sat mm -hmm, down with therapists yeah. and said, so-and-so wants to be in an open relationship, so what are your boundaries? Yep. It, can you go on a date? Can you not? Can you bottom? Can you not? Can you swallow? Can, I mean, literally that's that, right. that minute. Yes. And then, so that's what we're talking about. Yes. Yeah. And, and that makes sense to me because then it's like, that's a way to sort of say, this is where my line is. Yep. And then you feel respected. And then, then the trust comes. <laughs> I trust the other person not to cross that boundary. And if they do, it's yeah. really seen as like cheating. Uh, you've gone outside the contract. Yeah, yeah. And that's fascinating to land. I want one guy. I want the houses in New York and L.A. And I want the golden retriever. I want that. But I don't want to cook anymore. I don't want to be down to read with a dick. <laughs> that's what I was. I'm not a housewife. I, but I want... One man to really, because I don't trust easy and I don't, I'm not comfortable with sexual intimacy. So, you know, one one great thing about the former relationship after Paul was it was so great just to fuck one guy. And I said, I used to say to him afterwards, God, that was great because I just know I can completely like let go with you. But I don't trust much. And I envy gay men who just seem to be so good at just taking out their pants and going, let's fuck. You know, it's interesting. And I want to circle back on the trust piece. Right. So a lot of the times I'll, I'll notice clients or people will say, well, you know, I just want to trust that person and like trust is on the outside of them. But what's interesting is if you internalize that and say, okay, I'm going to take responsible responsibility for trusting somebody. If you get a shitty relationship, trust that you'll be able to get out of it. Right. So if you meet somebody that is terrible and you see that they're terrible, you can trust yourself to say, I'm not going to be with them. Or if you fall in love with somebody and they end up being somebody completely different years down the road, trust yourself to know when to get out of the relationship. The trust doesn't necessarily lie with the other person. It actually lies with you. Yes. Yes. But then I you found. have to ask like, OK, so it might seem like a spin, but just quickly. There was a book I read called the, the Neurotic American, trying to figure all this out, written in the 70s. And that said something about relationships. We choose people that we think have something in them that's going to complete some of us that we think that we lack. That's why we choose people. So I personally, maybe I'm too detached from it, but this romantic ideal about relationships, I really don't – I feel the surrendering of control saying we fall in love. I really don't buy that. What I buy is we choose people for certain reasons. And if we come mostly understanding where our blind spots are and who we are, then we know if we're attracted to somebody who we think may have something that we think we lack, is that the right person for us to be with? So it's a little less, oh, I'm just falling in love and I couldn't help myself, but more like, I think I don't think it's as unclear as that. I think relationships now and the next man I'll be with, I really have to be careful because I lose a bearings when I'm attracted to a man that I'm like... You know, I lose my bearings and I don't like it. A lot of people do. And yeah, I don't like there's it. actually a chemical reaction that happens in the brain I feel when it. you are falling in love where it will cloud your it's like the lens on any good Dallas episode, right? It's very fuzzy yeah. and everybody looks good behind that lens, but once you clean it off in a couple of years, it looks very different. There are crisp lines that you say, "Okay, I don't want to have this and I don't want to have this." But going mm -hmm. back to the trust piece, mm -hmm. when you say I have a difficult time trusting, mm -hmm. One offer, I'm just going to throw this out there, going back to what I said earlier, is don't worry about trusting them and what they're doing. Just know that you can trust yourself enough to know that when it appears, you can bolt.
right? You can make the. I know the exactly word. what. Okay. If and I so can. it feels very different as opposed to no, saying I totally, you I know, need to be a certain way so that I can trust you. No, I get what you're saying. What you're saying is I can't be the core tenet of who I am is unhurtable. So I know that I have that that discretion. I get it, right? And I also understand that with trusting someone else, it's not their stuff. It's like I can trust myself to decide whether or not this is the right person to be with or not, right? What I find interesting, though, is I don't get anybody that really comes at me in that regard, you know? Well, that's what makes that one person so amazing because if you had a sea of them, then they wouldn't be so amazing anymore. That would be like the McDonald's hamburger when you're waiting for a filet mignon. The filet mignon only comes around once in a while. That's why it's so incredible to hold on to those relationships mm-hmm. because you don't have them every day. No, I don't have that, but, 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 you know— I miss, I would like a moment, <laughs> it's going to sound like something out of a gay Hallmark card, but I would like a moment on a rooftop with a glass of rosé with another man and want to flirt with him and him flirting with me and just enjoying it. That's not a gay Hallmark card. That's beautiful. And baby, I haven't had that in a while. And so I'm, I'm asking myself, what am I putting out there? Everyone looks at me like, I know I come across as balanced and clear and powerful and centered and kind and compassionate. So I'm trying to soften my heart a little bit around men to sort of see. And what I'm afraid of, of course, is that if I open myself, which I do around a bunch of men, gay men, at a party or something, I end up getting little zingers and hurt a little bit because I can just see in their eyes I'm just not their cup of tea. And I haven't found the guy who who I'm their cup of tea yet. I'm like, where's my cup of tea? Got it. So when you're coming up to somebody and saying, I'm not sure if I can trust you, you're being what? Guarded. Right? And yeah, I so, have to let that down. And they really want that connection with you. But I know if they you're do. showing up guarded, that's what – so what you're going to do next time, and this is another offer, your mantra before you walk up to that man, that gorgeous man who's waiting for the rosé, you're going to say, hey, you know what? I'm going to trust myself to know when to get out of this relationship. First, you're putting all the responsibility on you, and it's very empowering as opposed to I'm not going to be a victim to you. Those are two different types of feelings. Yeah, but, that, but also, and we have to wrap this up, I know, but it's more like in that moment being okay with going up into a room full of gay men where I always feel nervous and then looking at them and not putting my guard up so that the person that does find me attractive as a person physically and emotionally – comes to me and and not be hurt when it's rare, right? I go into a room of gay men and it's rare. I get a lot of can I get your advice and but but Yeah, fuck what happened in the past. Fuck it, right? Everything that happened in the past, the untrusting everything else, all I'm saying is new moment. Next time that happens, mm-hmm. try it on. If it doesn't work, fine. Okay. You're back where you are. But just try that on and say I'm going to trust myself no to know when to bail and to know when this is not good for me. Okay, just uh, And that's it. And then you go up there and you are Michael C. Bryan, just the love that this man has been waiting for his entire life. If you're listening, call. <laughs> <laughs> yes. What to you are the benefits of monogamy that you found? Okay, so the benefits of monogamy. Clearly defined boundaries. I will say monogamy has very, very clear boundaries. That would basically be it. That would basically be it. But you like the boundaries? 
The boundaries are okay right now. I I don't want to be with anybody else. I don't have a desire sexually, emotionally, otherwise to be with anybody else. The one thing he knows how honest and open I am with how I'm feeling. So if I do want to go outside the relationship, then that is something, and I've had this conversation with him before, saying, you know, I this is kind of where I'm feeling. I'm feeling attracted to this person. And, you know, how do you feel about me kind of floating that idea or going in that direction? And he will give me his feedback. Typically, it's like, you know, I don't love the idea. And so I've got a choice to make. So do I want this relationship or do I want to go and be with this other person? So there have been times where there's been attraction, but I've been So open. what do you do with those emotions? Because my experience of you is that you're very open, very – it's not you're um, free with your body, free with you. And I mean that <laughs> – I used to be free with my body professionally, but I don't mean the same thing with you. But the, I see that. So what do you do with those emotions? Because those emotions of attraction and the opening up and the flowing towards – I can I get that, right? That you feel with someone else, right? And you want to express that. And then you talk to Tommy and Tommy's like, no, babe, that doesn't really work for me. But he says it in a different loving way. And so you're you're sitting there with this, okay, so my future husband is not comfortable with it. But then I feel this desire for this expression. What do you do with those emotions? So it's not really a desire for the expression other than just to have sex. So it's really, I mean, But I thought I, we're talking about emotional connection. Well, we're separated all the time. Well, no, because if I'm attracted to somebody, I let him know and I'm like, hey, you know. Okay, so it took him years for me to get to the emotional part of, and still to this day, I need to remind myself to keep the emotion and the love inside of it. Because mm-hmm. sex can easily turn into just a thing that you do with a friend, well, right? Yeah. And so when I'm generally talking to him about these instances, it's just about sex. Mm-hmm. So there is no emotional tie behind it. And so I, I, there's nothing to do with the emotion. Do you think there's just, an origin of this? Would you trace this back or do you think it's just how you're made? Where's nature versus nurture in here? Because this is a fascinating thing for I think a lot of people. This is a great discussion a lot of people think about and after a couple of glasses of wine want to go towards but don't ever engage with in their life. Well, I, I mean, I was born and raised in Bible-thumping Oklahoma, so I really right. don't think that was the origin. And maybe it was. You know, maybe I'm maybe like maybe I'm like the preacher's daughter, you know? <laughs> well, that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking the being dictated about how to be from the doctrine of an organized group saying that this is what you need to do in order to be saved, quote-unquote, created in you a desire to, I'm already saved, and I'm going to express my salvation in the way that I choose, which is... You know, do you know what I mean? There so, you go. I, I really, I think you hit it on the head. Absolutely. It really, when you get it shoved down your throat and you're, you know, wanting to, to not be that, you, I chose to create the life that I wanted because I was told everything was wrong. So yeah, I could see that. Absolutely. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, so we know there was a lot of information in this last episode. So if you'd like to reach out to us, we're at stripthepodcast at gmail.com. And if you'd like to leave us a voicemail about what's going on in your life, 201-685-0828. Stripped is co-hosted by Jennifer Ho and Michael C. Bryan. It is co-created by Michael C. Bryan, Jennifer Ho, and Ian Hamilton. It is produced by Ian Hamilton and Mariana Trevino. It is recorded and edited by Rich Cerbini at Hangar Studios in New York City. 